Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. So far, most of our guests have been the instigators of their moves overseas, most often for a too-good-to-be-true career opportunity. But for Nicole and many others, they've had to rethink their careers in their role as partner of someone following the career opportunity. Nicole had a booming career in Australia as a well-regarded journalist and newsreader with Sky News when her hotelier husband James was offered a great opportunity in Hong Kong. This was then followed by a further opportunity for him in the ancient Chinese city of Xi'an. There are some careers which are transferable, but an English-speaking newsreader in downtown Xi'an is not one of them. So Nicole pivoted and built a portfolio career working as a corporate MC, media trainer and freelance writer all of which lay the foundations for a new type of career when she came home in 2017. Having recently published her book, China Blonde, I'm interested in finding out more about Nicole's journey to best-selling author and why no one should dare call her a trailing spouse. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much. It's good to see you. Yeah, lovely. Um, And where are we chatting with you today? You are chatting with me in Sydney, downtown Sydney, uh, where it is actually a beautiful day after a week of very, very, very heavy rain, as you know. <laughs> yes, we've been watching with interest. It looks torrential, has looked torrential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So now you headed overseas in 2010. And before we get into your life abroad, can you share a little bit about what life looked like for you prior? Yeah, sure. Let me think back to that. So I um, was a newsreader at that time. I had been working at Sky News, the 24-hour news channel, um, which was very much a news channel back then. And I had been working there for 10 years. um, And I worked my way up from being a news producer to producer of several different programs, um, to reading the New Zealand news, because I'm originally from New Zealand, uh, to reading the main channel news. Um, so yeah, I had been doing that. I was, um, I had just married James, my husband, who had met on a blind date a couple of years earlier. <laughs> yes. Um, he was British. So he'd come down under as a backpacker and as a hotelier ended up staying. Um, yes, I lived, um, we'd moved in together. Obviously we'd got married. Um, life was great. Um, living the dream as they say. <laughs> Fantastic. And so before James's opportunity came about, did you ever think you'd have an overseas life or even an assignment abroad as a journalist? You know what? I had always dreamed of doing that and I dreamed of being, you know, a war correspondent or something like that. But I just found... um, It didn't come (laughs) that easily. You know, it took me a while to get into journalism. Um, I was actually living in Melbourne when I got my first job as a reporter out in Tamworth, a country town in New South Wales. Um, And 
I always felt in my 20s, I didn't really want to leave and rock the boat. I felt like I'd worked so hard to get my career up and running that if I went on an overseas, you know, gap year or whatever, that would be detrimental to my career. Looking back, it wouldn't have been. And then by the time I met James, uh, I was 35 and I felt like I was a bit too old to be doing the overseas thing, like I'd missed the boat. (laughs) I mean, crazy. But I remember he said to me um, on one of our you know, first dates, he said, you know, I'm in hotels and they do like us to move around um, because obviously those opportunities are there and they like you to keep growing and, you know, moving up the ladder. And uh, I was very um, adamant that, no, you know, my time had come and gone. I wasn't probably ready to move overseas or wanted to. I was a career girl, you know, and he was okay with that, thankfully, because he was, um, you know, he'd moved down under to Australia and loving it. So we kind of put it on the back burner. And didn't think of it until maybe a year later and another job came up in Hong Kong at the W there and something changed. You know, I just thought, you know, you only live once. Um, Sadly, one of my best friends had passed away the year before, which, you know, gives you a real insight into how short Mm. life can be. I had been at Sky for 10 years. I thought, you know, I could see myself doing the same thing for another 10 years. Uh, I was very much in my comfort zone and I thought maybe we need to get out of it. You know, let's do it. And I remember saying that to James. We were lying in bed and he literally nearly fell out of bed. He's like, what? Where did this come from? I'm like, you know, just put your hand up and see what happens. Yeah. Well, life clearly um, had other plans for you um, and you found yourself winging your way to Hong Kong. When you initially relocated there, I mean, you thought you'd relish a bit of downtime, I think was what your original plan was. But I guess it's you soon discovered that too much time off was quite confronting and you actually missed your career. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a weird time because I also found out I was pregnant the same week that we were going to Hong Kong. And, you know, we had been planning to have a baby, but we didn't know when and how that would happen. We knew how it would happen, what it would look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden I'm in Hong Kong in this city of nine million. James, of course, is off to his new job that he's really got to do long hours, prove himself. Um, I'm stuck at home suddenly pregnant. My identity, I realised, was so caught up with being a journalist and a newsreader because I'd worked so hard for that. And here I was and I had thought, yeah, you know what, I'm going to take a break from all of this. It's been 20 years and I'm quite happy to, you know, let it lie for a while. And I didn't go in and approach other TV stations because I knew I was having a baby and I didn't want to be doing shift work and all of that. So I kind of let it lie for a little while. But then, you know, you start to realise when you see housewife on the visa and you're like, oh, you know, that's that's not me. Yeah. You know, I remember freaking out a little bit when I first saw that. And, you know, James was amazingly supportive. And I think everyone feels the same way. You know, you have to have something of your own, no matter what that possibly looks like even if it's volunteering or learning the language in that country, um, you've got to have a little bit of something that's just yours. And I was really one of those people having been a career person while I was ready to be a mum and wanted to embrace that. I also knew I needed more than that. 
yeah, you you were looking for the anchors, you know, or purpose to yeah. to your to you. Yeah. So you start your expat life really as a mum, which mm. is um, in a new country, which is a challenge of monumental proportions in and of itself. But you do decide that creating your career is important. How did you go about doing that? Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> it off a lot of it was word of mouth. Um, but of course, it takes time for word of mouth to, you know, get around. Um, initially, of course, I arrived in the September, Ava was born in the January. So there wasn't much time in those few months to think about career. You know, I was also extremely sleep deprived. So I had to find something that was flexible. You know, yeah. I, I, there was no way I could launch myself into a full time career. Um, so I kind of, I started writing, which was while you might think, well, you've always been a writer, you're a journalist, it was very different writing, you know, writing articles for websites and magazines. And, you know, I started writing for a parenting website and I did that for free, you know, really just to get my name out there. And I think I mm-hmm. also, while I had an extreme loss of confidence and identity going to Hong Kong, there was also a bit of a, a certain freedom that I think we find when we do go overseas is that I could be something that I wasn't, you know, in in Australia, I would not have dared to send in an article to a local website, you know, because you're pension holders, you're a newsreader, you know, you're not going to be emceeing or you're not going to be writing an article or, you know, pitching to magazines. That's not what you do. So this kind of allowed me to, I guess, dip my toes in and, and I quite enjoyed it. And it was you know, it was something I could do from home with my laptop when Ava slept, which was rarely, and I yeah. sort of built it from there. And I did have a couple of friends in Hong Kong and um, my first MC job actually came up from a friend who was offered it who couldn't do it. And I, Ava was nine weeks at that time and I remember thinking, you know, I was terrified because you might think, well, you've been a newsreader, MCing would be easy. But when you're a newsreader, you're talking to a camera. When you're an MC, you've got a whole crowd of people. And I'm a, I am a bit of an introverted extrovert, believe it or not. So it was terrifying, but I knew that I had to do it. I had to put myself out there, out of my comfort zone because I knew afterwards the rewards that I would feel for doing that would be tenfold. So here I was, you know, I had to go and find an evening dress that fit because I was a few sizes bigger after having Ava, had breast pads in, I was still breastfeeding and off I went and emceed this uh, awards night. And I've been asked back. I must have done something right because they asked me back 10 years in a row, even from China and Australia. So, you know, they're a beautiful family and they really embraced me. So that was sort of the beginning, I guess, of building up that portfolio of freelance work, which all related to what I had done, but wasn't quite what I had done, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I find it um, incredible, you know, the commonality of like that sense of freedom um, when we Mm. go overseas. And we do find ourselves, I think, taking a few additional risks or thinking, well, what's the worst that could happen? And I think there's that sense that we can still go back to what we had in Australia, but we also have this incredible gift of an opportunity to try different things, um, which you've clearly embraced. I think so. And I was just going to say, I think um, because Sky News also kept my job open kindly for a year, it was a nice backstop, which I knew if things failed in Hong Kong or it didn't work out, I could always go back. 
But it, it did t- it did take a good friend of mine to really take me aside one day when I was kind of complaining and probably whinging a bit, you know, who am I? What have I got? And she really pointed out, you know, have a look at you're not just a newsreader. Look at that what that 20 years experience has entailed from producing programs and communications and writing and media training. I started dabbling in that. So sometimes you need someone else or you need to step back for a while to really see what you're capable of because you forget. Yeah, and it's that composition of skills, isn't it, that Mm. we have. It's not just I'm a journalist or I'm a newsreader. It's the full composition um, and and leveraging that. So, Mm. So after four years in Hong Kong, you and James decide, well, we're not ready to come back just yet. Um, and you feel the lure of another assignment and you find yourself relocating to Xi'an in China. That must have been an extraordinary next step and different culture to step into. Can you can you give us a little bit of insight into how that felt? Mm, yeah, I mean, just saying it still gives me goosebumps because it was such a crazy time. And, you know, we were in Hong Kong for four years and we loved it and we quite possibly would have stayed because we were very happy there. But James really needed to step up and be general manager of his own hotel. So he was number two in Hong Kong. And Mm -hmm. so we were sort of putting the feelers out for a good year or year and a half beforehand and things came and went all over the place, different countries, Seoul, Bali, Bangkok, but China just kept coming up because they were building so many hotels and it it was clear that they weren't going anywhere and, you know, we'd knocked back a role in Wuhan, um, which was such a largely unheard of city back then as most Chinese cities are. And Xi'an came up and, I, you know, all I had to go on was Google. So I Googled it and you know, the pictures looked very pretty and it was a very quintessentially Chinese city. <laughs> and I just remember we'd been through so many, maybe we're going, maybe we're not. I said, we've just got to do it. Let's just go to China, get it done. And, you know, you'll have that under your belt. So off we went. And again, you know, I'd been to the mainland, but only really to Shanghai and Shenzhen, which are first tier cities. I hadn't been um, to those second tier cities. And It was amazing, but, gee, I really did suffer culture shock quite severely in those early months. Um, Just it was so different to Hong Kong. You know, that great divide that they talk about was very real. The language suddenly while while they had Cantonese and that was spoken widely in Hong Kong, they also spoke quite a lot of English. There were also English signs uh, under the um, characters. They always had the English, but in, in Xi'an, nothing. Full Chinese characters. Um, you know, very few people spoke English, very few Westerners, you know, a, ha- a thousand expats in a city of nine million as opposed to a hundred thousand in Hong Kong. Um, you know, you would step outside that hotel on those first few days. We lived in the hotel, um, which was amazing. But Room service was good. Um, <laughs> room service, China style. Um, but, you know, we would step out the front door and it was just game on. You know, we were just those that many Chinese there had not ever seen apart from on television or in the movies. So they were just fascinated, you know, especially with Ava who was, you know, this little blondie with fair skin, long blonde hair, blue eyes. And, you know, I didn't have any Chinese, a little bit at that time. So it was really daunting and very scary in those early days. And housewife again on my visa. By that time I was 
response to it and I could kind of swallow that. Um, and, of course, I had a bit of a portfolio going of work that I could bring from Hong Kong. I'd started blogging as well and I was monetizing that. So I really just tried to blog and keep myself busy and write a lot. Yeah. And I guess it was here that the journalist in you also really comes alive where you said about capturing your experiences there. And I think, you know, you've shared before that you hired a translator and you set about interviewing the people of Xi'an um, and capturing their stories. Yeah, well, I had a very, one of my very best friends was Chinese and her name was Chow and she was amazing and she was probably the most westernised Chinese person I'd ever met. Um, and she was married to a Dutchman. Um, so she sort of taught us about the ways of China and we taught her about the ways of the West. So um, when I had been there for about a year and a half, I guess I had confidence by that point to start yeah. doing some interviews. I knew that I wanted to write a book about China. I knew it was an amazing place. No idea what the book would look like, but just that I needed to get as much information and insight into the locals and what their thoughts and beliefs were. So I took Chow along and we interviewed all sorts of people from, you know, 92-year-old war veterans um, to my local hairdresser to a group of, you know, women, Sex in the City style. And I really <laughs> got a feel, I guess, for what China, China's average person really thinks about life in China. Um, so those interviewing skills, I guess, yeah, I, I had to use those and hone in on those and it gave me a sense of purpose doing those as well. Yeah, and I mean, you clearly did a beautiful job because reading about those in your book, it, it, it does, it takes you there and you find that despite the vast cultural differences, I guess we're all human at the end of the day and we're all wired for connection and we're yes. all wired, you know, for um, that sense of purpose and sharing things. So exactly. I thought that was a beautiful piece that came Thank through. You. Yeah. So when it does come time to return to Australia, I mean, you share that, you know, you almost weren't ready. You were really just finding you were getting into the groove. How did you prepare yourself for that move? It was just another one of those things. And I know when James comes home in the middle of the day, uh, it's trouble. I'm like, <laughs> oh, what's going on now? You know, but whenever we, there was a move on the horizon, he was just a peer. And he said, you know, there's a role back in Sydney. And, of course, my heart sank, but it also soared. So it's just such a contradiction of feelings because two and a half years now in China, seven years away, uh, we were really loving life overseas. You know, we, I loved the thrill of it and we'd found our place in China, although it was still really difficult. We had a great bunch of friends and we could get by. Um, so we just had, you know, I'm sure many expats, all expats go through this where you are just tossing and turning all night, going over the pros and cons and talking it through and, you know, trying to find out what the job was for James and calling our parents and getting their thoughts. And, you know, eventually we kind of just said, okay, we've got to do it because we knew that had we not said yes to Sydney, we might struggle to get back to Australia because jobs in Sydney in hotels are very hard to come by. You know, everyone, every expat wants to get back to that city. So we thought if we say no, who knows, we might be stuck out here. So we said yes, and it was with a mix of, I guess, excitement and a bit of terror as well at giving it all away. Well, it's that it's that 
real juxtaposition, isn't it, between the head and the heart and, you know, trying to unravel that and, and as you say, work it through and go, well, what's the best thing and how do I say goodbye to a life that I love? I think that's something that a lot of expats grapple with, um, no. whether they think they're ready or they're not, you know, there's, there's still that goodbye. I think we leave, you know, we leave a part of our heart in all of these different countries, don't we? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I guess returning from such a different culture too, I mean, stepping off the plane and back into life in Australia must have been, like we talk reverse culture shock, but that must have been really prevalent for you. Can you talk us through those early weeks and months? I just remember it was like everything was in high definition because, you know, China is polluted for much of the time and Australia just has these piercing blue skies, you know, that go on, stretch so high and it was just, it was like you'd put high-definition goggles on or something. It was incredible. And, you know, it was also, you know what, it's like it's such a crazy time. You come back and you have so much to suddenly organise, being away, whether it's getting a new house, finding a school for Ava. We didn't have cars and I hadn't driven for six, seven years. So that was quite amusing. <laughs> I found myself parking, uh, you know, back to front on the wrong side of the road a few times and people would point out like, uh, you can't do that here. So many rules and regulations after China. It was just bizarre. And also I remember just going into the shops and people, hi, how are you? Very chatty and, you know, want to know yes. how your day is. And, you know, no one, because obviously the language for a start, but no one really speaks to you in, in retail over in Asia. You know, they just sort of watch you and follow you around. So all of a sudden so much conversation that I kind of avoided, <laughs> a lot of chit-chat. Yeah, you almost have to be on to go into the shops. <laughs> yeah. yeah, green grass that you could actually sit in. You know, yeah. trees, parks, and I remember just driving over to school the first day and giving myself a high five that we'd actually found the school. We'd got there. We'd driven without any, um, you know, accidents. Drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess for Ava, I mean, she hadn't ever lived in Australia. So this, I mean, whilst we as adults often say we're coming home, like her concept of home and returning to Australia would have been very different. How old was she? So she would have been seven? Yes, yeah, six. And um, she, it was interesting because I remember so many people saying, oh, Ava must be so happy to be returning to normality. And I would say, well, she's happy, but this is not normal for her. You know, she's, you know, her favourite food is dim sum. She eats with chopsticks and, you know, Asia is her home. So it was really interesting for her. I remember when we, I did take her into school and she said, Mummy, why does everyone look like you? Because suddenly, you know, blonde mums were a dime a dozen, whereas I yeah. was obviously the standout there. So for her it was quite, you know, and just noticing flowers and grass and things like that for her. It's a really interesting time. Yeah, and it's an education for us, isn't it, seeing it through their lens yes. and their world um, and monitoring or seeing transition, you know, unfold for them. I know many, many nights she would sort of cry and say, Mummy, I want to go back to China, you know, until she felt settled. So it was. I was always sort of trying to explain that to people that were just, you know, that haven't been overseas and lived that life. They just assume that you are just ecstatic to be back and that's all there is to it. Yeah, yeah, it's quite it's quite difficult sometimes to reconcile that or to navigate those conversations. Mm. Um, mm. 
Now, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you'd negotiated or you'd been given a year off um, when you first went overseas to Hong Kong. I mean, that obviously had dissipated that opportunity (laughs) well and truly by the time you arrived back. How um, did you feel about returning to work here in Australia? Like, I mean, were you thinking you'd go back to newsreader-type roles or did you think, no, no, I'm, I'm on a new path? No, I knew I wouldn't. Uh, you know, that was in my past and I didn't have much desire for that. But then, you know, it was amazing the number of people that and still ask me, are you going back to Sky? And I'm like, you know, a decade's gone by and it is such a different beast now. They don't have a lot of newsreaders. It, it's all, you know, commentating. So, you know, and I didn't, you know, I've been there and done that. And one thing about coming mm. back to Australia was I didn't want to feel like I'd gone full circle, you know. So we still chose on purpose a suburb that we didn't know anything about that was, you know, the opposite end of Sydney because I didn't want to go back to our old suburb because then it would almost feel like we'd never been away. And, I, you know, you don't want to forget that. I wanted somewhere new to explore as well. Um, and I knew work-wise, I was excited that I knew there were going to be a lot more opportunities here in, as far as writing. I suddenly had, you know, options to do different courses on you know, actually going in the flesh to these courses that were in English and learning about the craft of writing yeah. a book, um, you know, and, and obviously it, uh, it does take time. I think it takes a good few years to settle in and, and word of mouth to spread and I feel like that's only just starting to happen now that people are coming to me um, for things, you know. Um, so it's always hard, that transition, but I have, I was looking forward to just those new opportunities Mm. So you're three years in, four years in now, aren't you? You returned in 2017. So, um, yeah. and, and you know, your book has now has now come to life. You've birthed that other baby, <laughs> if you like. Um, how's that all going? It's great. I mean, look, it's no easy task. Um, it's been four years in the making because I guess it all started with those interviews and then it was coming back to Australia and, as I said, learning the craft and working out that it would be a memoir and what the book would be about. And, you know, once you um, have the first draft, there's got to be many edits done and changes, and that takes a good six months to a year. Then, you know, you've got to set up a proposal and set about finding publishers and the right way of doing it for you. And, and when it finally, you know, is out there in the world, which is another year on, then you've got to promote the hell out of it. Yeah. So it's a big job. Um but it's been fun and I've loved doing it um, and I love writing and, yeah, so it, it's been really worthwhile. Fantastic. I think for many of us, former expats, um, we all feel like we've got a book in us. <laughs> so yes. I think it's the reality of knowing what's involved um, to bring that to life is, um, is, is a good point to know too. Exactly, because we all have a book in it. I think you've just got to... Just write and finish it. <laughs> That's the first yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you really have had tremendous success with the book um, and, you know, you're clearly someone who gets out there and makes things happen. I guess I'm really interested in what's next. Oh, gee. Well, I am writing a second book because, I, you know, I do love it and that will be fiction because I don't think I've got enough exciting stories to tell about myself unless we go overseas again which is, you know, a possibility. Um, so I'm writing a fiction book based in Hong Kong, though, because I get to talk about the amazing Hong Kong. Um, I'm yeah. also, you know, doing, 
other things um, like media training, you know, um, I'm going to start some online courses with on-camera tips and social media tips and getting your message to the media. So, again, it's utilising all of those things that I've been doing and finally realising how to put them out there and put them to good use and and using all those skills that I've now amassed over those 25 years or whatever, 30 years. So, yeah, it's fun. It's good. Yeah, great. And it's wonderful to see that, you know, though each experience has really, you know, um, I guess laid the foundations of new skills, which it's now like you're almost joining the chapters together um, yes. and yes. it's coming to life, which is wonderful. You mentioned that you may go overseas again. Do you, do you have a place you'd love to go or a place that's likely to come up or...? Not really. And, you know, I guess it's just with James Jobs, those options are there. Um, Of course, we have to think about Ava and schooling and all of that and when the time is right. Um, But I think we've still got that fire in our belly to do it. Yeah. um, Yeah. At some point. And even if it was just for a couple of years, but then we all say a couple of years. Um, (laughs) Not China again, just because, you know, it's a hard, it is a hard place to live, even though we loved it. And maybe somewhere in Asia, because I do love Asia. Um, Who knows? An island resort would be nice. I could write my best seller, (laughs) you know, overlooking the the beach. (laughs) So, you know, we don't know, but we're definitely here for a good, you know, few more years, but we'll see, who knows what the future holds. Yeah, well, I think many of us put ourselves in that in that bucket. Um, we 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 never like to shut down the opportunities. We like to throw caution to the wind. I think we're always curious about what could be, yes. um, and that world of possibility is is wonderful. So um, I think we'll all watch with interest uh, <laughs> as to where where the uh, the next book uh, when the next book hits yeah. the shelves, and obviously where where you take things next. Um, now, Nicole, we like to finish all of our podcasts with five quick questions. Um, and so um, it's just a word or phrase that comes to mind. So living overseas opened my eyes to? Uh, a gazillion different cultures. Yeah, yeah. wonderful, wonderful. Um, expats are good for? Anything, <laughs> stepping out of their comfort zone, looking outside the box. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. curiosity is it's so interesting. Sense of adventure and, yeah. The best thing I have discovered since arriving home? Um, oh, gee. Being back with old friends and family is the best thing, of course. Being able to go to any appointment and speak in English. <laughs> Buying our own house. Yeah, the ease of life. It's incredible, isn't it? Um, the first thing I'd encourage a new repat to do? Get an address <laughs> because <laughs> it's really tricky without one. You know, yes. there's so many things you have to, Medicare, driver's licence, bank accounts, and none of that can be given to you without a, an address. And we found that so difficult when we came back trying to get things organised. Oh, the logistics without mm. without having an address is just so difficult. I always used to laugh too when you have to give your previous addresses and it's like, oh, my gosh, how long is a oh, piece of string? I know, I know. <laughs> it's quite stressful. <laughs> yeah. A word, song or quote that best describes my time overseas is? I don't know. This song doesn't describe my time overseas, but I wrote about it in the book, um, John Denver's Country Roads. <laughs> which was in the 70s and I used to sing that as a kid in the back of the car, favourite song, and it was very ironic in China being driven in the back of um, 
the hotel car by a driver that didn't speak English but was belting out country roads. So Ava and I would sing it at the top of our lungs and it kind of was quite pertinent to China, you know, take me home to the place I belong. But then it was sort of talking about, you know, it was really, if you listen to the words, it was quite a fitting and that always gives me a bit of a chill for many reasons. I like it a lot. Um, and like the connection, obviously, also to China as well. Yeah, when you listen, I can't remember the words, but it's, you know, something old, mountains older than the something. And, you know, China is such an ancient place. And yeah, I used to love hearing that. Fantastic. And I'm going to be a bit cheeky and throw in a sixth question here. And that is, do you have a favourite place to go to for China, Chinese food or dim sum in Sydney for all our Sydney listeners? Oh gosh, um, New Shanghai is it, and I think they're in Melbourne as well. They're like a, a chain of restaurants, New Shanghai, and yeah. they've got amazing dim sum and all of that. But there are so many Chinese restaurants, and I don't have it nearly as much as I should, and I miss it a lot. You know, we end up having it at home on a Friday night, but it's not the same. <laughs> no, no. Well, it might be one for us to check out though, because I think we're always on the hunt for that um, when we return and new local. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Nicole, you've been really generous with your time and I've really enjoyed hearing your story today. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.